hey, Joe Casaboni here, and I'm just letting you know that how I built it is now Streamlined Solopreneur. So if you're seeing a new artwork and a new name in your podcast player, that is expected and by design. The new name better reflects the mission and really what has been the mission of this show for the last few years, and I'm really excited about it. All the links in the show notes and how I built it will still work, but the show also has a new home over at streamlined.fm if you want to check it out. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, my guest is Stacy Cavernmo, a UX and UI designer and developer at Oddbird. I met Stacy on another podcast and was really excited to talk to her about a number of tools and views that she has about creating good code while working on a team. We talk about process, UX, and a whole lot more in this episode, and we'll get to all of that. But first, a word from our sponsors. This season of How I Built It is brought to you by two great sponsors. The first is LiquidWeb. If you're running a membership site, an online course, or even a real estate site on WordPress, you've likely already discovered that many hosts have optimized their platforms for a logged out experience, where they cache everything. Sites on their hardware are great for your sales or landing pages, but struggle when your users log in. At that point, your site is as slow as if you were on $3 hosting. LiquidWeb built their managed WordPress platform optimized for sites that want speed and performance, regardless of whether a customer is logged in or logged out. Trust me on this. I've tried it out and it's fast. Seriously fast. Now, with their single site plan, LiquidWeb is a no-brainer for anyone whose site is actually part of their business and not just a site promoting their business. Check out the rest of the features on their platform by visiting them at buildpodcast.net slash liquid. That's buildpodcast.net slash liquid. It's also brought to you by Jilt. Jilt is the easiest way to recover abandoned shopping carts on WooCommerce, easy digital downloads, and Shopify. Your e-commerce clients could be leaving literally thousands on the table, and here's why. 70% of all shopping carts are abandoned prior to checkout. Yes, you heard that right. 70% of shoppers never make it to checkout. That's why you need to introduce your clients to Jilt. Jilt uses proven recovery tactics to rescue that lost revenue. It's an easy win that lets you boost your client's revenue by as much as 15%, and it only takes 15 minutes of your time to set up. Jilt fully integrates with WooCommerce, EDD, and Shopify. You can completely customize the recovery emails that Jilt sends and match your client's branding using its powerful drag and drop editor. Or you can dig into the HTML and CSS. Even better, Jilt's fair pricing means your clients pay only for the customers that actually engage. You get to earn a cut of that through Jilt's partner program. Whether you have clients that process one sale per month or 10,000 sales per month, be the hero and help them supercharge their revenue with Jilt. Check them out at buildpodcast.net slash Jilt. That's buildpodcast.net slash J-I-L-T. And now, on with the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, my guest is UX designer and UI developer, Stacey Cavernmo. Stacey, how are you? 
Hi, good. How are you? I am fantastic. I did okay on the name there? You did great. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining me today. We met from being on the podcast Lunch with Brad, which I think we were on the very first episode, right? We were. I keep singing that theme song over and over again. I just love it. <laughs> it's constantly stuck in my head. So so good on Brad for that. I will link our episode in the show notes if you guys are interested in hearing that. But I was very interested to get Stacy on the show because I think that she offers a unique kind of point of view from what I what I normally have on the show, which is a lot of developers. So Stacy, you are a UX designer and UI developer at Oddbird. Is that correct? That is correct. I've been cool. there for about two years and I love every minute of it. Nice. Very nice. So so what does your day to day look like there? Uh, well, we do a daily stand-up in the morning and just kind of schedule out what we'll be working on. Everyone is an equal part of the business, so we all kind of take responsibility for ourselves. We have certain workflows in place to make sure that everyone is always busy with a task and, you know, whether it's doing a proposal for a design or implementing the design or reviewing the design. We do a ton of code reviews. Everything is 100% tested. So we all kind of take a really big part in every project that we build together. Very cool. And and we're going to be talking a bit about that process, kind of the process and, and UX a little bit in today's episode. So just one more question before we really get into it is, while I met you through a, I guess, a WordPress-centric group of people, you don't really work too much in the WordPress space. Is that accurate? Sort of. I mean, okay. I started working in WordPress in 2009. And for many years, I was exclusively WordPress, worked at WebDev Studios with Brad and company. And then when I took a job right after that, they used WordPress very sparingly. So I didn't get to do it as much as I'd like, but I still co-host the WordPress Naperville meetup group. So I always had my fingers in it and kind of my finger did the pulse. I just didn't use it maybe on a more like a weekly basis rather than a daily basis. And nowadays I decided to build my own little app site app using WordPress. It's a question and answer website for yoga. And so that keeps me kind of current on all the things that are going on in WordPress. And so I still have something to talk about. No. So WordPress, I love it. It like it really does hold my heart. It does so much for people wanting to build a website that may not have all the technical skills. And it's just amazing what you can do. I am a designer, front-end developer. I don't know all of the PHP database stuff, how to how to do everything that some of the back-end developers do. But with WordPress, I can get like 85% there doing what I want. And then there's always plugins to help me along the way. So I really owe a great deal of gratitude to WordPress and the community around it. That Well, that's, yeah, that's fantastic. And again... I want to reiterate what you just said because I'm a developer. I have like a master's in software engineering, but I'm in the education space now. So I'm very happy that I could get my own WordPress LMS website up and running without having to code much of anything. If I want to make customizations, I can, but you know, I want to focus on the content without having to focus on, you know, writing this monolithic thing, this big giant application. So yeah. cool. So we're going to talk about kind of process in US and we're going uh, UX and we're going to use this project that you worked on at Oddbird called Herman Style Guides. Can you tell us a little bit about that how you guys came up with the idea and why you made it? Yeah, so 
Design systems have been growing in its popularity, I'll say, over the past years. And we've always had a design system approach to building. We basically will build these toolkits and hand them off to our clients to continue maintenance. So we're building a system to let them handle their system. Mm -hmm. And it's unopinionated. We came up with the idea basically because we wanted a way to extend our already documented code and display it so the whole team could see. The whole team can get on board with what what patterns exist and why it even matters. I mean, patterns are a huge part in development as far as keeps a visual inventory of everything that exists so your team is fully aware of it. It creates this shared vocabulary. So when you have these meetings and say your project manager is referring to a component that needs to be built, you guys can use the same language so everyone can communicate on the same level. It reduces technical debt and minimizes long-term maintenance. There's so many good things to why patterns matter and to expose those patterns through a tool that's automated is going to be key moving forward if you are building any sort of scalable project or if you're working with a team. Yeah, absolutely. And this like rings true so well for me. I, I can really relate to this because I mean, when I was at CrowdFavor, I worked on massive projects with maybe, I don't know, thousands, tens of thousands of lines of SAS for our CSS. And what would happen is we didn't have something like this. So I would make a class for like a button. Somebody else would make a class that had the same styles, but it would be later in the code or, or he didn't know where it was. So a design system could potentially prevent stuff like that from happening, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and consistency is key. We have a very specific way we set up our files in order to avoid that. Also, all of our code is well-reviewed by at least one person every single line. And it sounds tedious, but when you get into that mode of doing those code reviews, you learn not only so much about what that code base is doing, but also what it takes to write good code. You start communicating about it and it makes you think about your your code and helps you to plan for these types of patterns. What you may have overlooked, someone could maybe see pretty easily. And to have that conversation can save you a lot of time in the long run from having to maintain all those disparate pieces. Yeah. And I mean, not to mention, it'll make you a better coder over time, right? Especially if your code is, the, is what's being reviewed. It's a nice way to kind of put egos aside and, and know that I'm going to be better. The reviewer is going to become more familiar with the project. And most importantly, the project is going to have the best code base possible. Oh, yeah. I did a, I did a presentation oh, a few years ago about code review and the benefits of. I think I did it. I did a WP session. So for nice. those familiar with that, yes. shout out to Brian. And that's actually how I got the job at Oddbird because I met Miriam Suzanne at a few conferences and she heard my talk about doing code review. And since they were such big fans of the code review process, she thought, you know, I'd probably be a good fit with just, you know, that in mind that I care that much about code review. I think a lot of people maybe they're not in a big enough team or they don't they think they don't have time but it's it's so valuable to growing like you said just your own skills but also to just continually build better projects 
Because if you're one of, if you're the only, let's say, front end developer on your team, you might think you, you might think you don't need it. But what happens when you leave? Someone else needs to to know what's going on. Maybe that is a back end developer that can transfer that knowledge, so they have some sort of working idea of what's going on in that code base. Yeah, absolutely. You didn't give that talk at a WordCamp by chance, did you? I did at three SASConf. Uh, CSS DevConf, and I don't think I did it at okay. any of the WordCamps, no. Okay. I went to a, a code review talk at a WordCamp a few years ago, and I was going to just like freak out if I had seen you was it without Chicago? realizing. Uh, it's possible. I was at Chicago 2014. I spoke there in 2014, ah. but I think I spoke about design. Okay. I kind of flip-flop every year doing between design and code, yeah. but nice. that was nice. my design year. Cool. Very cool. Well, awesome. Well, I will. I'll definitely link to the WP session. Brian is a good friend of mine and of the show. And so we have the Herman style guides. It's an open source project. Can you talk about a little bit about how it works so we understand what kind of work went into it? And then we can talk about kind of the process behind building it. Okay. So yes, I mentioned it's an automated style guide tool. It hooks directly into your SAS. And if you've ever used SAS doc before, that's kind of in 2015, I tweeted that I wanted something like a pattern lab or a hologram to have a baby with SAS Because I love the <laughs> idea of documenting mix-ins and variables and, and, you know, how to use them, what is required and where they're else they're dependent upon. I love the idea that SAS doc has with documenting their code, but I also really wanted some sort of visual preview. And that's what some of those other tools were were giving at the time. And when I found out, when I started talking to Oddbird, that this is something they've been working on. So I wasn't there when it was, a, you know, just an idea in their head. Mm-hmm. They were, they had already started. And when I found out that they had started this tool that was kind of like my dream tool for documenting design, I was so on board from the beginning. So it takes code that's already in your SAS and will use SAS stock. It's built on top of SAS stock. I said that. <laughs> and uses the is it SAS export or JSON export? It basically takes all the information in the SAS stack that you've documented and exports it to JSON, which then displays it on the front end with the data that's needed. We're calling in, you can call some templating examples. We use Nunjux and it hooks into, like you can actually import the Nunjux macro and say, you know, we want to show this button style. So import the buttons and then the little template tag. You could just use straight up HTML if you want. And then it also produces that visual rendering. So if you have it to include those templating files, you're not really reproducing that markup, which a lot of the other style guide tools, you'll see them, you, you know, you have to create like a separate markdown file and then put the markup there, even though the markup is probably created in some sort of templating language somewhere else. So we're trying to get to the place where we don't duplicate code, we're just calling it. And I think that's part of the magic that Herman provides for us. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's awesome. And as a developer, I can say that documenting is, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I will. It's our least favorite thing. <laughs> you know, you know, documenting and, and things like that, it's tough because, you know, we spend most of our time, especially if we're doing client projects at a bigger level, we're spending all of our billable hours on the project. And some might view the documentation part as a, a way to burn those billable hours when in actuality it's 
going to save you hours in the long run, especially if it's a recurring client and you need to jump back into that code base at some point. Yeah, I mean, this is built to like with budgets in mind. It's a very like easy tool to integrate into your existing code base without taking a lot of extra work to get it to do what you want to get it to display certain patterns. You know, as a UX designer, I can, and you know, I do the front end development too, so I kind of float in between both worlds. But if I am only doing UX design on a project and I don't really have a deep knowledge of what's going on in the repo at the time, it's so important for me to know what patterns exist so that I don't keep creating just slight variations of the same pattern. And I think that there are people who think that self-documentation is, you know, the way to go. And I think that, you know, that's certainly one opinion, but (laughs) If you are unfamiliar with the project or if you're coming in maybe as a junior level design or developer, you might not know why those decisions were made or where the code snippet came from. Sometimes just posting a link to like a CSS tricks article and say, you know, I found this here or a code pen really helps under like helps you understand why those decisions were made because I don't care how awesome your function names are at explaining what's happening. Sometimes the context of why it's there to begin with is missing. So I think documentation, we strongly believe in documentation. It's going to save you so much time in the long run. If this project is not maybe like a temporary microsite, whatever, you don't need a design system. You probably don't need that much documentation. But if this is something that you want to keep iterating on, it's almost a requirement these days. If you build WordPress websites, you should join your fellow WordPress developers from around the world for WordSesh, a must-attend virtual conference on July 25th, 2018. WordSesh has been highly curated to provide you with the absolute best possible experience. Every presenter has been handpicked for their experience and perspective. Each topic complements and builds on the others, and the virtual swag will be amazing and useful. You can see the full speaker lineup and register for the live event and its recordings at wordsesh.com. Yeah, absolutely. So so I'd love to get into the well, so the the title question, right, is how did you build it? And this was already kind of in process when you got to Oddbird, right? So from a from a process standpoint, maybe you can take us from the beginning, like what does a kickoff look like? How do you kind of divvy up the jobs and and when does everybody get involved that sort of thing sure and i mean so since this is an open source tool it's not something we're 100 percent focused in the whole time we kind of will do some upgrades as we as we go when we feel that a certain client project needs it it kind of has grown with us as we decide like what's more what's important what do we need for our business to succeed We do retreats a few times a year. And in 2017, we, the two retreats we had, we worked on this tool. The first one, we worked almost exclusively on this tool. So one of those days would look like we would have our morning stand up, decide what we want to focus on. We have a whole list of GitHub issues. So public repo, if anyone wants to look through all the open and closed issues. So that kind of helps us prioritize what we want to achieve. And then we sort of break out into smaller groups where the designers kind of work together to decide, okay, these are the proposals we're going to make. We're just going to make like quick 
sketchy wireframes of like how we're going to solve these problems. We come back together. I don't know what the developers do, but <laughs> we came back together, discussed our solutions, had you know some back and forth. Maybe we should try this. Oh, did you think about that? Very open to idea sharing at Adbra. I love the fact that everyone contributes to every discussion we have. And then we break off again, maybe individually this time and kind of finalize that proposal. And then it goes into implementation. And once that's finished, we go into code review and testing. We have, not only do we write tests for our JavaScript, we also, maybe, I don't know if we have Python tests. I don't even know if that's a thing. I don't really <laughs> dabble in that world. But we also have, we use True, which is another Oddbird tool, open source. It tests your SAS mix-in. So it checks to see if the arguments you're passing is like what it's expecting. It's a really nice tool. So those are also written before anything gets merged. And that's kind of our wow. process. That's very cool. So I want to I wanna focus in on two things here. So you mentioned implementation and then code review. We touched on code view a little code review a little bit, but and it's like one person going through the code. Are they like team events? You know, I've heard that code reviews can be all the developers in a room together like picking apart code and it's like a very public thing, but it's a thing that like grows the team. And then when I was at Crowd Favorite, we we had mostly one-on-one code review. Somebody would post it in a project room, somebody else would take it and look at it and make comments. What does your code review look like? And and maybe you could talk about like some of the reasoning behind it. Well typically we're we are a remote first company. While half of our team is in Colorado, the other half is, well, there's two in Indiana, one in South Dakota, and one I'm in Aurora, Illinois. So we almost always do just commenting in GitHub in line. I think that also provides a lot of value of like, uh, you can refer back to it later and Mm -hmm. you see their clear questions. I think there's a lot of etiquette that goes into code review. And I think what Adver does is, is right. It's not, why did you do this? It's, can you explain why you chose this. There's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to make code review painful and there's a lot of ways to make it educational. And we always lean on the educational side. Now, when we're all together, we can sometimes look over each other's, you know, computers and be like, oh, that's interesting. You know, what are you doing there? But it's still, even when we're together, almost all done through the interface. It's easier to track that way. So that's just kind of our preferred method of, of doing the review. Sure. So that may, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because there's, there's, I mean, the accountability aspect of it, which again, we kind of leaned on at crowd favorite, you know, who reviewed the code and, and why did they approve it? Is it following kind of the standards that we set forth? But also, you know, can you explain why you did it this way? If somebody explains why they did it in a comment and that's suitable, now whoever is looking at that code base learns maybe something new or a new way to do something, right? It's, I always have a hard time like grading or, or reviewing papers or like articles that people will send me to, to review because I, I have to, you have to straddle the line between this is not the right way to write it. And this is not the way I would have written it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's different 
thought process and and there's different methodologies in writing code, but sometimes it comes down to, yeah, is is this a preference or, or is this actually something that wasn't like thought through or followed through with the right conventions that we typically use? I mean, we have pretty established conventions. I don't even, I don't think they're like written down anywhere, but just from these code reviews, you learn to think about the code and you learn to plan through the things before you even write a line of code. And I think that's huge skill for people who are looking to level up in probably any language, but certainly CSS. CSS is easy, certainly. I know people say that all the time, but really good strategic CSS is like playing a game of chess. Like you have to think through all of these things that are going to happen in the future to make sure that your CSS isn't going to crumble or grow to many megabytes before you realize there's a problem. Yeah. And I mean, that's especially true with SAS, right? Because with SAS, you could just do like extend. I think it's you, you can extend a class and it basically just copies all of the properties from that class into this new class. And there's probably reasons to do it, but maybe a mix in would be better in, in a different case where you're not exploding your CSS. Right. So, yeah. I mean, there are certain. Certain issues with extend, and if you're not careful, you're probably going to write bad code. But so even if you're writing CSS, sometimes you're going to write bad code. So I think it's all about how you approach those. We don't, I don't think I've ever written an extend at Oddword. I tend to prefer mixins. They don't produce any code until they're actually called, and you will never have unexpected output if. I mean, sometimes with an extend, if something's written afterwards, then the original declaration is overridden. So it right. just seems safer to me. Yeah, I I think I used extend a couple of times and then I regretted it. And I was like, <laughs> a mixin is better for this. So that's really interesting. So when you bring on, let's say, a new designer or a new front-end developer, do you onboard them in any way? Are you like, okay, so... Because you said that you're not sure if there's like a clear document, but are you I'm like... I'm getting so much trouble over this. <laughs> I'm sure there are. Yeah, there yeah, probably yeah. are many Google yeah. Docs. We have right. we have tons of documentation of things. Yes. I don't know if like specific code style is documented. That makes me feel like an imposter that I talk about documentation. <laughs> I do know, though, that our SAS lint file will always tell me if I am not uh. writing the correct code style. In some of our projects, and probably all moving forward, we can't even commit the code if there is a SAS lint error. It will tell us, you know, hey, you forgot to put a space between your colon and right. your property so or your value. and. Yeah. That kind of saves you from yourself, from all these little tiny errors. Having that SAS lint tool or whatever linting tool you're using, can. there's so many of these build tools that make our lives so much easier. And I know people complain about the whole build tool stack because it's gotten way more complicated, or not just the build tool, but the whole tooling stack. But there is a reason for many of these tools to exist, and it's to make everything way simpler. And I know it adds a little complexity, but I think overall it certainly benefits us, especially if you have people on your team that can make those steps a little easier when you start a new project. It's definitely a value that I would not want to let go. Absolutely. So, okay. So you said you might get in trouble, but you actually answered in like the best possible way, which is no, we don't make new developers read like some boring GitHub document or whatever. We have a lint, we have a linter that 
shows them the right way to do it and like gives them the the right you know it's so like i don't have to sit down with the developer and say never use the important tag you know like you should never <laughs> use it or whatever or like you know make sure to alphabetize your your properties that was something that we did at crowd favorite oh you have a linter that might do that for you or whatever so cool that's yep. that's fantastic awesome so we're man we're coming up on time and i want to ask you about testing as well because you know being like on the let's say the back end of things you know you can have like these automated unit tests or integration testing and stuff like that what is what is testing a sas file or what does testing herman look like sure well, we've documented, Herman is self-documented, documented itself. So I'll post all the, I assume we have some show notes here. Yeah. I'll give you all the links. But for a SAS test in True, we would, for instance, if you have a mixin and it's expecting three arguments and you only have two, when you compile that code, you're going to get a little error message in your console that says, hey, we noticed that you only provided two you can't finish compiling, basically. So it kind of it it'll tell you where and and why there's an error. But again, it kind of saves you from yourself. If you're gonna write a mixin that uses logic, why not test that logic just like any other language would do? So I had nothing to do with true. I've implemented <laughs> some tests, but you know Miriam and the people at Abrid are responsible for for that tool. And it's fantastic. It's great. I highly recommend people go check it out. Cool. Very cool. I, I love that. I was just talking to somebody recently about like, when I got my master's degree, we had to go through a class of like writing provably correct programs. So like, we'd have to write mathematical proofs for our programs. And now it's like your editor tells you when you're messing up as you're messing up. Like, it's just what a wonderful time we live in as far as coding goes. So it's very cool to see those those tools being used on both the back end and, and the front end. Because I, I think, I don't know, I'm a front end developer. I straddle the, the, I guess maybe I'm like a middle developer. I do some back endy things. And I'm much more familiar with those kind of tools for the back end stuff because it's easier. I think it's easier to visualize. So. Yeah, I think with SAS, it's really opened up a lot of avenues that we've been missing in CSS. And I know we're rolling out CSS custom properties. They do extend things. They're slightly different than what you'd see in a SAS variable, but it's you know a very similar, like this is a placeholder basically for something else that you're going to use later. You can change it on the fly. But we never, back in CSS days, we never had the ability to do a lot of these cool logic things and we can do loops and we we're very heavy on SAS maps at Oddbird. We feel yes. that code should, you know, we're creating these patterns, but these patterns need to be meaningful. So when you're creating a color palette, you don't want necessarily a giant file of just a, a ton of colors. Why not group them with what they're meaning? So if you have state colors. So you have your success messages and you have your error and your warning, and that's all wrapped in a state color map tag so that when you call it later in the style guide, it can be listed under state colors. And so you can separate it so that people know, you know, what's intention of it, not just the color and just the value or anything, but like how it's supposed to be used in context. And that's kind of, you'll see that type of meaningful relationships all throughout our code. That was probably the most surprising and 
biggest thing I learned after joining Oddbird, I always knew that keeping things dry was important, but I never really thought deeply about code being meaningful and having that relationship that not only is like, oh, everything here shares the same background color. That's not really a good example of relationship. But if they're all you know, sharing a background color for a specific purpose, mm -hmm. then that makes it more meaningful. Man, that's awesome. Because like, if, I mean, if you look at my SAS, you'll see like primary color, secondary color. Like that's, you know, that's not as meaningful as say grouping things by state. Like what is this the primary color for? Or, you know, things like that. You know, I'll, I'll have like link and link hover, you know, so I have yeah. like some meaningful names, but those groups, and we do the yeah. primary colors too. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. do the brand colors. We'll list the brand colors or secondary colors, but then we never call those in the rest of our code base. Those are always used as like a layer of configuration for the theme colors. So while we're using the same color, we're calling it from a different previously defined SAS map. And there's been some engineering of the maps that we're using because SAS can't you can't refer to a color from a diff or from the same map if it's a related color. So again, nothing I did, but the smart people at Oddbird created sort of a, an extension of the syntax and some functions that we can use in order to easily tie those key value pairs together within the same map. And then when we call them later, we define it in one place and then it gets calculated later. So we're able to use a human readable format in order to make those relationships consistent as you would expect to define those types of colors or sizes or whatever you're using to define. That's really cool. So we are at time, but I must ask you my favorite question, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us? I mean, going back to that meaningful pattern thing, if you don't know what I'm talking about, please watch Miriam's talk at pretty much any of the conferences. She blows my mind every time she speaks. And one of my trade secrets is work with people smarter than you and work in teams because you will exponentially increase your knowledge as well. And you can then apply and give back and share that knowledge there. She does this talk. I think it's code patterns for pattern making, or maybe I'm getting that backwards. It's on our website. It's phenomenal. And I mean, I worked at Adbert for a while. And then when she gave that talk, it all came together for me, why we're doing what we're doing and, and to be able to like fully embrace oh, okay, now I recognize that this is why we do these things. And I think it's just fantastic. And I think it makes me a hundred times better developer in order to recognize what is a pattern and what is a meaningful one and to be able to continue to write code in that way. Definitely recommend checking out her talks. That's my trade secret. Awesome. That's, that's excellent. And I will link that talk in the show notes as well. This episode has some rich show notes, which you can find at howibuilt.it slash 79, which is the episode number. Stacy, thanks so much for joining me today. Where can people find you? I'm on Twitter, not as often as I used to be <laughs> for Probably reasons. Probably for the best, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at Stacy Cavernmo, K-V-E-R-N-M-O, every letter. Say every letter if you say the name. <laughs> and CodePen at just Stacy. That's a pretty cool username. Wow, you got Stacy on CodePen? That's yeah. amazing. 
Maybe that's I'm like, an insider. I don't know. Yeah, that's the dream. I want Joe on some platform, which is nearly impossible because Joe is... Well, I guess Stacey's a pretty common name too, but... Eh. Well, in development though, I wonder how many people, how many women were early adopters mm-hmm. of each platform. Yeah, So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's a really good point, so... Sort of man, a, oh, an advantage. I only... Yeah. I got Stacey K on GitHub. I wasn't able to get Stacey. Ah. So. <laughs> Almost. Thanks so much to Stacy for joining me today. She provides a ton of great insight into coding with the team, user experience, and a lot more. I strongly encourage you to check out her work and the open source projects that she's working on over at Oddburn. Everything will be linked in the show notes, but I mean, some of that stuff that she was talking about really blew my mind. Uh, and thanks again to our sponsors. Make sure to check out Liquid Web for managed WordPress hosting. I use them for all of my important sites because they are that good. They're over at buildpodcast.net slash liquid. They'll give you 50% off your first two months just for being a listener. If you want to save your clients or yourself money through recovering abandoned parts, check out Jilt. They're over at buildpodcast.net slash Jilt. And finally, be sure to check out WordSesh. It's an incredibly affordable 12-hour online conference on July 25th with some of the biggest thought leaders in WordPress. Get your tickets at buildpodcast.net slash wordsesh. For all of the show notes, head over to howibuilt.it slash 79. If you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It helps people discover us. And finally, if you like the show and you want to support it yourself, head over to patreon.com slash howibuiltit. We've got a lot of great perks for backers, and right now, you can check out the official How I Built It t-shirt. Your support can go for as little as $1 a month, and if you pledge $10 a month, you'll get that shirt for free. And until next time, get out there and build something. <laughs>